When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. The uh, rain's rolled in again, so if you are listening to Drive with Peter Vlahos around the Perth metro area and possibly down the southwest on uh, Spirit 621, just take it a bit easy. As I said, we've got a few showers rolling in around drive time. They'll continue throughout the night and maybe a shower early tomorrow morning. Well, it's been a big day in sport, headed by the Manly Sea Eagles coach, Desi Hasler, who's been forced to front the media and apologise for the club's significant mistake, in inverted commas, regarding the controversial Pride jersey confirming the team will still wear the rainbow-coloured kit on Thursday night to launch the new round, but they'll be minus a number of players, up to seven. Uh, We'll hear from Desi Hasler in just a moment, and also we'll speak to Matt White, who is a Manly supporter, let me tell you, follows Manly Warringah, the Sea Eagles, but also a broadcaster on uh, weekday mornings on SEN in Sydney. So Matt White's going to join us up to date, not only focusing on that big story, but a couple of others that have transpired over the last couple of days. It's been an interesting three days since Sunday for the National Rugby League. And as I was driving into work this afternoon, I heard the news that probably one of the real pioneers of WA cricket, after all, the top cricket award, the individual award, is known as the Laurie Saul Medal. And Laurie this afternoon passed away at the age of 96 a first-class cricketer, a chairman of selectors for the Australian national cricket team. And he was there when Australian cricket was at the pinnacle. He was involved with Lily and Marsh. He was involved with some of the greats of not only West Australian cricket, but Australian cricket. So I'll be speaking to John Inverarity, the West Australian cricket captain, who took this state to so much success during that period when there was Lily when there was Marsh, and of course, uh, he was also involved, as I mentioned, Laurie Saul, on the back end of recruiting Bobby Simpson out of retirement to lead the Australian cricket team during, of course, World Series cricket. And of course, he was involved as the chairman of selectors during Australia's golden generation that included Stephen Mark Waugh, Mark Taylor, Ian Healy, Glenn McGrath, Shane Warne, and so many more. So Johnny Vereri will pay tribute to an icon of not only WA cricket, but Australian cricket a bit later on in drive. Looking forward to speaking to Invers. But back to the lead story today regarding rugby league. And as I mentioned, Desi Hasler had to front the media today to apologise for the club's significant mistake regarding that controversial pride jersey And uh, he basically mentioned that in every department across their rugby league club, they got it wrong. We are here today to apologise for a significant mistake made by the Manly Seagulls Football Club. 
As you are aware, uh, the club yesterday launched a, a jersey for women in league round. Uh, the change to our traditional jersey was the application of rainbow colours uh, to replace uh, all the white spaces and the white lines. Uh, the intent of the rainbow colour application of our jersey was to represent uh, diversity and inclusion for all uh, utilising the symbolic colours of pride to embrace all groups who feel marginalised, face discrimination and have suppressed share of voice. The Jersey intent uh, was to support uh, the advocacy and human rights uh, pertaining uh, to gender, uh, race, culture, ability and LGBTQ movements. Sadly, the execution of what was intended to be an extremely important and pieing initiative was poor. Uh, there was little consultation or collaboration with key stakeholders both inside and outside the club. Sadly, uh, this poor management and project management has caused uh, significant confusion, uh, discomfort and pain for many people. In particular, uh, those groups uh, whose human rights uh, we were in fact attempting to support. We have even adversely affected our playing group, a wonderful group of people comprising of many different racial and cultural backgrounds. We wish to ap sincerely apologise for, for the mistakes we have made. We wish to apologise to the minority groups within the community who embrace the rainbow colours as a symbol of pride in who they are, what they stand for, and their impassioned advocacy to enhance basic tolerance and acceptance within the diversity and inclusion space. We wish to apologise to the LGBTQ community who embrace the rainbow colours, to use these colours for pride and advocacy and human rights issues has played an integral role for the inclusion and diversity of all minority groups. We acknowledge the role of the LGBTQ community has played in breaking down uh, the barriers for many other groups who also utilise the rainbow colours as a source of pride. We wish to apologise to the Australian Rugby League Commission, all of the NRL and the other 15 NRL clubs for creating negative news, shifting the spotlight from the launch of the Women in League round. We wish to apologise to our own playing group and staff for any confusion, discomfort and pain that mistake we have made may have caused them. We accept your cultural beliefs and hope that you can accept our apology. Our intent was to be caring and compassionate towards all diverse groups who face inclusion issues daily. However, instead of enhancing tolerance and acceptance, we may have hindered this. This was the opposite of our intent. I'm rem reminded of Gandhi's quote, be the change you want to see in the world. I truly hope that the communities, the NRL, our players and our staff who have caused confusion and campaign can accept our apology.
Well, there you go. That's four minutes of an apology that went on for another two or three. Uh, Desi Hasler, they're the coach of the Manly Seagulls in the NRL. After the break, I'll speak to Matt White, who's a Manly supporter, but also a broadcaster, and he'll bring us up to date on the uh, developments and what it means for Manly, particularly for Thursday night. We'll also touch on the controversy stemming from the North Queensland Cowboys-West Tigers match on Sunday that has seen the referee axe for one of the most controversial decisions ever in rugby league. And also I'll speak to Maddie about Titan star Kevin Proctor, who was sacked and fined $15,000 for vaping midway through the Gold Coast Titans loss to the Canterbury Bulldogs on Sunday. And the reason he was sacked is that he broke Australian stadium laws by using an e-cigarette at Combank Stadium where you're not allowed to smoke. That's all coming up after the break here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Welcome back after the break. As you heard before the break, Manly coach Des Hasler has apologised for a significant mistake made by the Sea Eagles amid its pride jersey controversy. A man that's right across it is SEN in Sydney, of course, does the 9 to 12 shift. He is a Manly supporter, and I'd be very interested to see what his take is on this, uh, his boyhood club. Uh, Certainly headline material at the moment, uh, and it's amazing what's happened in the NRL over the last two or three days. Matt White, thanks for your time. Morning, Pete. Uh, my pleasure. Ah, gee whiz. Well, Desi Hasler, who was a fair player, a very respected coach, I've heard, Dan, um, we did hear some of the audio from the press conference. He apologised to everybody. But first, let's go back. How did this transpire? We know there were seven players that refused to play for Manly on the weekend. Can you give us a bit of background on it all? Well, how it transpired is exactly the reason why Des Hasler ended up having to make this apology. And that's that's the crux of the matter. Obviously, the issue at hand is an emotive one, and we can dive into that as well. And there are seven players who've decided not to play. But what really occurred here, and look, this all started over the last couple of days when Manly announced that they were going to do this pride jumper Um, this weekend. It got great reviews. As soon as it came out, everybody said, what a great idea, because it was floated in the paper first. However, what transpired between that announcement and what we've seen today is the realisation that the club didn't, um, didn't, wasn't consulting really anyone within its own personnel internally or externally for that matter, in regards to using this jumper. And that is what's caused the problem. I said on my program this morning as we were trying to work it out, we obviously got answers from Des. I said, it appears as though this is all good intention stuff that's been horribly executed. And that's exactly what's happened. Now, we don't know. We still don't know who was behind this decision, but the the coach and playing staff weren't put across this. The fact that, um, you know, you should be able to know right now that within the NRL... There is a Pacifica base of players that is around the 50% mark. So half of the players in the league at the moment of Polynesian heritage um, are, are mostly quite religious. They hold um, very strong cultural beliefs. 
And a lot of these clubs know that, deal with it, and assess that before they make any decision, whether it's a jersey or what they're going to eat before or before the game. Mm, so mm. the fact that the uh, the Manly Seagulls didn't do any of that whatsoever and then went out and floated it shows that it's just horrible mismanagement from what should be a professional club. And the coaching captain have had to wear it today. Seven players won't be playing on Thursday night for a crunch game. And in the act of trying to be inclusive and embracing diversity, they've been divisive and ended up excluding a whole heap of people and having, as you just well said, mate, apologised to the world for it. Extraordinary scenes. Mm. I've never seen anything like it, Pete, in the last... I mean, the last 48 hours in rugby league's been upside down and off the charts, um, you know, on a rugby league scale. But what I saw today from Des Hasler was was quite bizarre, quite bewildering, very, very emotive, very strong and a very big statement and the absolute mea culpa that they got this whole issue wrong from the start. They didn't think it through. So saying that, so the seven players will not play on Thursday. Is that set in stone? And saying that, had they consulted the players and not made the mistake before just jumping into it uh, for the match on Thursday, do you reckon they would have reconsidered if they got some feedback from the players that have been in question now? Perhaps, and we'll we'll never really know that, but it was very, very clear that they had to fast-track a meeting between the players and the club, which was meant to happen today. They fast-tracked that to last night, where obviously they've sat down with these seven players who have said, we will not be doing that on our based on our religious and cultural beliefs. So none of those discussions had obviously taken place whatsoever. And I guess the question then is, would there have been discussions around... Um, do we do we play as a club in this jumper and you guys can sit it out and we respect that decision? Um, do we just not play in the jumper until we can come to an overall agreement? Do we have a broader discussion around this first and then take it that way? It appears as though they've grabbed themselves an opportunity to get a good photo in the paper and try and make some good headlines with the right intentions. And I, I've got to make that point clear. This this club in particular and the way that Des Hasler spoke today shows you that they came into what whoever was trying to do this had the right intentions. However, they didn't think it through to the point where they're now left without seven players and they've got an almighty headache on their hands as to how they continue to deal with this. Had they had that discussion before, the outcome might have been different. Mm, certainly it's going to cause a lot of interest on Thursday. You'd think that Manly would be up against it now. I think they sit in ninth position. They've got Roosters, Eels, Titans, Sharks, Raiders and Bulldogs to close out the season. This could basically sink any finals chances they had. Absolutely it could. I mean, they're, they're scrambling to to come up with a team for Thursday's match. And, and all this has happened in quite a hurry. If you, if you try and piece the dots together, there will, there will be somebody at that club who, who I would suggest won't be there. Um, very, very quickly because there's somebody at that club who's tried to make this decision ad hoc um, and it's had a massive, massive effect and and quite an emotional effect across the playing group itself, across the fan base. I mean, the response on my show this morning was extraordinary, Pete. I, you know, and you're trying to cover all sides of this debate um, and I don't think we really got to a resolution at all because we didn't know the facts of it. However, if, if you think about it going forward, now what happens? There are seven players there who are going to be sitting out a match where the club has continued to say now that we're going to wear that jersey and we're going to pick 17 players 
who will wear that jersey and therefore go along with what the club's values are in this area. They're not backing away from that. But they now know that they've got seven players there who don't share the values of the club when it comes to these issues or don't want to back the values of the club because of their beliefs. I don't know what happens going forward with that. The week after, those seven players come back in and then represent the club again, uh, knowing full well when they've said that something the club stands for, we can't back. I mean, I, I just don't know how that one's going to unfold. So there's a huge problem just on Thursday when they've got to play the Roosters and mm. try and keep their season alive. But there's probably a bigger problem going forward when when all the dust starts to settle on the arguments around all the, the this and the reality comes down to how does the club manage this one going forward. Yep. And just while we've got you, and we appreciate your time very much indeed, a couple of the other issues. Uh, the NRL has admitted the video referee, Ashley Klein, he blundered in Sunday's match-changing decision. It was very much that against the West Tigers. Uh, take us through that process in the game against uh, the North Queensland Cowboys and what's been the ramifications in what's been already a turbulent week for the NRL. Well, I'll tell you the ramifications, mate. I almost ended up having to go to Harvey Norman on Sunday night and getting myself a new TV because I was shouting and screaming about the only thing I did. And I'm not a West Tigers or a North Queensland fan, but I, I, I was just blown away by what, what was happening in front of me. And to my mind, there's no doubt, no question at all that the West Tigers won that match and should have got the two competition points. And the NRL has come out and said there were, there were two parts of how it unfolded at the end. There was a race down of the clock, which was um, which was ticking away furiously. Then there was a kickoff, which went to the West Tigers. The Tigers caught the ball. That should have been it. Game over. However, with the captain's challenge in rugby league now, once there's a stoppage in play, a captain can challenge um, something around that play that then is referred up to the bunker. So this is the critical part. There was a captain's challenge for a whole stack of reasons that I won't bore your listeners with that you can pick apart as to whether it was valid to be made, both on the clock, was there a stoppage of play, had the game actually been called, the referee blew a whistle, but apparently it wasn't the final whistle, it was a short whistle, never heard of that before, and that allowed North Queensland to have a captain's challenge. So that, to my mind, even though the NRL says we got that right, they got that wrong in my opinion, which then led the bunker to become involved they went back and had a look, which is what's called an escort play, where one of the uh, attacking uh, attacking footy players ran into one of the defending footy players off the ball, and Ashley Klein made that decision that that deserved a penalty, which everybody knew was wrong, and the NRL confirmed that yesterday. So mm. the NRL is, the NRL have gone 50-50 on this one, mate. They've gone, well, look, we, we, we agree it wasn't a penalty, but we think that the captain's call and captain's challenge, et cetera, was right. I think they got both of those wrong and there's now a big groundswell for the West Tigers to somehow get those two competition points instead of North Queensland. So I'll tell you, there are are wildfires raging around rugby league at every turn. Yeah, it makes it certainly a good fodder for people like you and me. And finally, before you let you go, Matt, we appreciate your time. Kevin Proctor sacked and fined $15,000 the Titans stay. He was a former skipper. And he posted this on social media. And, of course, uh, he broke Australian stadium laws for using an e-cigarette. You're just not allowed to do it inside the stadium. What was in his head to do something like that? 
<laughs> what was in the vape is probably more the question because that might answer what was, in, what was in his head. I mean, it's just dumb with a capital D. Oh, and this guy's meant to be a leader of a club that's struggling. So he was on the way out anyway. Perhaps he just wanted to fast forward his exit because if he did, he went about it the right way. But, I mean, it's it's stupidity that you just cannot get a grip on to do it in the first place, to post it on social media. <laughs> Hello, he should have just... He should have just packed his bags and walked straight out of there and said goodbye to the club himself instead of waiting for them to come and get him. But, yeah, a- a- absolute stupidity. Yeah. Good on you, Matt. Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, great show that you put together there in Sydney, 9 to 12 on SEN. And thanks for bringing us up to date with what has been an interesting two or three days in uh, rugby league. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Good on you, Matt White. Thanks for joining us on the program. All right, we're going to change tack. We're going to actually pay tribute to one of the real pioneers slash icons of West Australian and Australian cricket. Uh, Overnight, Laurie Saul passed away at the age of 96. A man that had a lot to do with him was enduring WA Sheffield Shield captain in John Inverarity. I'll speak to Invers next here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Great to have your company here on Drive. Uh, And today uh, we heard the news that one of the visionaries of Australian cricket, Laurie Saul, passed away at the age of 96. When it came to identifying talent, uh, Laurie Saul had an incredible eye and uh, he served in a lot of capacity in both WA cricket and Australian cricket. And uh, to share the legacy that Laurie Saul has left on this nation when it comes to cricket is another man that's been one of uh, this country and particularly West Australians enduring captains in Australian Sheffield Shield cricket during the late 1970s and 1980s. Of course, he captained both WA and South Australia. He's affectionately known as Invers. John Inverary, thanks for joining us on the program. A pleasure, Peter. Laurie Saul, you knew him very well, uh, passing away overnight at the age of 96. What a figure overall he was for Australian cricket. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, His contribution to club cricket, the University of Western Australia Cricket Club, to Western Australia and to Australia cricket was outstanding. I don't think there's been a Western Australian who's made a greater contribution to cricket than Laurie Saul. He was nicknamed the Colonel. Did you know how he got that nickname? Yes, I do. He was, uh, after the war, he went away. He was just, um, he just saw a little bit of service in the islands north of Australia. And he came back and did a degree and he was staying at Curry Hall. And he had a group of mates and they used to like to get to the same table. And he was the great organiser. So it was the time just after the war. So he he was in charge, so they called him the Colonel. <laughs> and it stuck from the mid-1940s. Uh, when I last saw him a month or so ago, uh, he was only known as the Colonel. And he was in an aged care facility, and we keep plead, kept pleading with the, clear, the carers not to call him Laurie, but to call him the Colonel. <laughs> as you mentioned, John, he served in World War Two. Uh He enlisted in January of 1944 and fought as a teenager. When he returned, 
He did make his first class debut for WA at the age of 29, and, but he wanted to stay in cricket, didn't he? And he applied to be a WA selector in 1962. And from then on, Laurie Saul became a prominent figure. Well, that's right. So he retired from cricket and became a selector in 1962. And in November or December 1962, I was playing for Claremont against University at James Oval. Uh, and he was captain of uni, and I made a few runs. And um, anyway, he looked favourably on me, and without having done much, uh, a few weeks later I was in the Western Australian team. Uh, So that friendship started 60 years ago. And I remember the first time I played against him, and then the first time down at state practice when I was about to play, he came up and shook my hand and said a few reasonably curt things, just (laughs) always understated. And I loved him from that moment. He's a wonderful bloke, great sense of humour, wonderful humour. Yeah, I can see that certainly you're very well connected to him, John. Uh, And a lot of people, and you are fortunate to share uh, many of his years uh, together. Saying that, of course, when he took on the role as a selector, WA then went through what was known as a golden period. They won six Sheffield Shield titles when he was selector of WA cricket. They reckon he just had an eye for talent. Would that be fair to say? Yes, he did. Uh, An eye for talent and an eye for character. And uh, anyway, there's a lot of funny stories about him, but uh, he, he was a man of intelligence, of great integrity, of wisdom, warmth, in a unique sort of way, and then uh, as a, a wonderful sense of humour. He was part of a selection... Dearly loved by many. Dearly loved by all who knew him. Yes, and of course he was part of a selection panel that was chaired by Alan Edwards, another West Australian, but he fostered the careers, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, of Dennis Lilly, of Rod Marsh, of Kim Hughes, of Terry Alderman, and yourself. Yes, How much yeah. did he do yeah. to contribute to your career? Uh, as a cricket and as a leader of WA cricket? Well, I mean, his selection, his selections were, I think, outstanding. He had, he had a gift for that. But I've talked with cricketers from other states and, you know, who did they play for? Did they play for Melbourne or Victoria or Victorian Cricket Association? Or And I think we had a period there where we were, passionate Western Australians, you know, against the Eastern states. So we were dedicated to to try and bring pleasure to Western Australians and people from Perth. But I think our very strong identification as a team was with Laurie Saul and Alan Edwards, that we, we wanted to do our best for them. You talk about footballers playing for a coach, uh, and of course, cricket is playing for a captain, but we certainly played for Laurie Saul and Alan Edwards. They were two great men and great Western Australian cricket people and different but terrific personalities. Mm. Saying that, he promoted you into the WA side. Can you remember uh, the moment that you were given that honour? And as we say, the rest is history when it comes to John Inverarity. Yeah, I can remember first finding out and then first meeting him at state practice because I was selected when I wasn't in the state squad. WA had just 
lost outright by an innings to New South Wales, in which Alan Davidson took a hat-trick. And I think the selectors thought, right, we're going to promote some young people who may have a bit of promise. So that that was the time, December 1962. He, in 13 years, was a national selector from 1982, 11 of them as chairman. He un- identified some of the greats of Australian cricket, as I rattle off just some of the names, the War Twins, Mark Taylor, Ian Healy, David Boone, Michael Slater, the late Shane Warne, Glenn McGrath. It just goes on and on. It's very us. Yeah, there was a great there was a great talent base at that time, but he quickly identified them. I mean, Steve Steve War told me a story not so long ago. Um, anyway, it was the Argus review, and um, Laurie Saul was interviewed by Don Argus and three of the Australian captains: Steve War, Alan Border, and Mark Taylor. And uh, Laurie's punchline of his humour were always enhanced because he had a slight impediment in his speech and they met with Laurie at his house and they were all leaving and Steve Waugh hung back a bit he wanted to say something to the colonel and ask him a question and I think Steve was after a bit of sort of praise like we knew you had the talent and we knew you had the character and we knew you'd come good but he said to the colonel, he said recently I've been wondering um, when I started Test Cricket, I had a, a lean run for a long time. I've been wondering why you stuck with me and expecting you know, some compliments. And the Colonel said, mm, I've been wondering myself recently. <laughs> <laughs> he was a, just came out with the unexpected. Uh, uh, he was an influential mentor. Uh, of course, you took on the role as chairman of the Australian Selection Committee. So yep. did Rod Marsh, the late Rod Marsh. Uh, yep. Did he no doubt saw you as the people to take Australian cricket forward yourself and Rod Marsh? Uh, was he a mentor when it came to you taking over as chairman of selectors for the Australian cricket team? Look, I, I've uh, kept in touch with the Colonel, you know, constantly. So during the period when I was Australian selector, I often had a coffee with him yesterday and chat through things. Yeah, he was. He was. He was terrific. He was just. He's just. He, he had great wisdom, and you know. Um, he didn't speak excessively. He just knocked nails on the head. Mm. He had enormous success. Uh, we know WA cricket at the WACA ground, and of course his reign, I suppose, is in charge of the selection panel of the Australian cricket team, uh, John Inverarity, may have culminated in that Ashes victory in 1989 that really ushered an era of success for Australian cricket. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of good players coming through at that time, but he made some selections where he probably... uh, They were based on character, and uh, he made wise selections and... Australian cricket prospered. He was very influential, yes. And those players of that time, you know, Steve Waugh, Mark Taylor, Ian Healy, they all had a great deal of time for him. Mm. He managed that team in 1989, and uh, uh, they loved him. Saying that, John Inverarity, uh, 96 years of age, he lived a full life. As we mentioned, as a young boy, he served this country in World War II, had a great passion for cricket. He was a Dow batsman from all reports. Uh, but as you mentioned, 
He was great to be around. And no doubt, he, you said you saw him about a month ago. You'll probably look back on some great memories with the great Laurie Saw. Yeah, and he, he was dearly loved by many, by many. And he had a great affection for the University Cricket Club, cricket generally, Western Australian cricket and Australian cricket. And, you know, even recently, he'd be in his room in an aged care facility. Uh, he'd be watching that. And, of course, he was also a great Dockers supporter too, <laughs> having played a bit with East Fremantle. Well, well, I know he was awarded the Order of Australia in 1992 for his services to cricket administration, rightfully so. And as we know, the leading yeah. award in WA cricket is uh, la- named after him the Laurie Saul Medal, which uh, Saul will be medal. there yeah. for everybody to treasure now that he's left us yep. at the age of 96. Just a final word, John. Yep. If you had to characterise Laurie Saul, the person, is there two or three war- words that you reckon uh, encapsulate him as an individual? I would say, well, wisdom, integrity and humour. And you'll miss him. Miss him greatly. Thanks for joining us, John. He had a, he had a good life and... Thankfully, we knew him. And we thank you very much for paying uh, John Inverity a, a tribute to the great Laurie Saw. Thanks for your time, John. Really appreciate it. Good evening, Peter. Bye. Good on you. John Inverity there joining us here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. Uh, great to have a chat to Invers. What an icon he was for West Australian cricket. As I mentioned, six Sheffield Shield successes when Laurie Saul was in charge. WA had only won one Shield prior to him taking over as a selector in WA cricket. He was an absolute legend in the true sense of the word. We'll take a break. Come back with more in a moment. You're with Drive with Peter Vlahos. If you'd like to maybe make a comment, uh, then you're more than welcome. You can text us at the Temperate Bedshed text line 0487 736 736 Bedshed. Uh, experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. You can check the range of temper products in store. Visit bedshed.com.au. And if you'd like to give us a call, maybe pay a tribute in your own right to Laurie Saul. Uh, the Scarborough Toyota open line is there for you, 13 12 55. On the other side of the break, uh, Tom Hawkins, the star forward for Geelong, on the eve of Joel Selwood playing his 350th AFL game, reckons that Joel Selwood is the greatest player ever to put on the hoops at Geelong. Do you agree? Tommy Hawkins reckons he is the greatest ever cat. What about Gary Ablett Jr., Gary Ablett Sr.? There's a few others in there. Um, But because of 350s and his longevity and the fact that he's, of course, the most capped uh, captain in VFL-AFL history, does Joel Selwood take that mantle? As we go to the break, let's have a listen to what uh, Patrick Dangerfield had to say about his club skipper. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Not bad for someone that, um, you know, if the Cats could get five or six years out of him with a bung knee, then they'd be going okay. Um, yeah, he's been an incredible player for the football club and an incredible leader, one of the best ever. Um, we're a better organisation because of, of Joel's time in our footy club. Um, and it, it will be a, a monumental thing to run at behind him. He, he has this aura about him that you just walk taller when he's walking in front of you. You just do. He commands the respect of the, of the, of the team, of the organisation, of the supporters. He embodies everything that, you know, 
I see as fundamentally Geelong and our culture. Um, so it'll be a really special thing. And to have that uh, at Kidding Your Park, it's something we can all celebrate. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Great to have your company wherever you may be listening on SEN Track 657 in Perth and through the suburbs, SEN Spirit 621 in Bunbury in the southwest. In the goldfields at SEN 1611, uh, DAB Plus Radio, SEN Peel, and of course anywhere where you may be, WA, Australia, even overseas on the SEN WA app. Uh, great to have your company. Now, a Super Sunday headlines a final round of the AFL season because today the AFL released the fixtures for round 23. And with the season probably tipped to go down to the wire, the AFL has moved to ensure the makeup of the ladder comes down to the final day of the year. So these are the fixtures for the final round of the home and away season. Friday, August 19, Brisbane Lions against Melbourne up at the Gabba. Then on Saturday... There is five games. It's the Giants and Fremantle. That's the early game in Manuka in Canberra. And then it's North Melbourne and the Suns, Geelong and the Eagles, Essendon take on Richmond, Port Adelaide against the Adelaide Crows. So when you look at that, North Melbourne are done and dusted, as are the Gold Coast Suns. The Giants are done and dusted, so Frio should win that. Uh, Essendon... It was a big game for Richmond. They could be still alive, even though Essendon is done and dusted. You think Port Adelaide are done and dusted, uh, and so are the Adelaide Crows. So the showdown will be the final game on that Saturday. And then on Sunday, and this is what I mean, they're looking at having a, a super Sunday uh, to maybe finalise who's going to be playing in the finals for the AFL in 2022. They've got Hawthorne against the Western Bulldogs. So it'll be a pivotal match for the Bulldogs. We've got Carlton and Collingwood. At the MCG, that'll get underway at one twenty Saturday, uh, Sunday afternoon. So that is a big game for both clubs if they continue where they're currently at. And then we've got St Kilda and Sydney, who both, as we know, Sydney could be pushing for a top four spot and St Kilda may be pushing for a spot in the finals. So that is the program for round 23. The AFL reserve, reserving the judgment to have three influential games on the Sunday. Speaking of Melbourne, it's interesting today that Simon Goodwin was asked a question about Luke Jackson. As we know, Melbourne are on their way later this week to take on the Fremantle Dockers at Optus Stadium. By the way, the forecast is for a wet one on Friday. So it could be uh, pretty hard going, up to about 15 mils forecast for the Friday. So it looks like being a wet game of Aussie rules footy at Optus Stadium on Friday night. Luke Jackson will be here. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether he is courted by certain people away from the Melbourne Football Club when they arrived. Anyway, here's Simon Goodwin on where Luke Jackson's at. Goody, do you keep Luke Jackson at your side at all times during this trip? In what way? Oh, obviously, Fremantle's keen. It's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question, but obviously, they're, they're interested in him. Does, you know, how's that situation going? Yeah, Luke's, um, you know, we've had some really good conversations. We're, we're giving Luke as much time in, in terms of making his decision. Um, he's really committed to the team. Um, you know, we've had some really frank conversations about his determination to play his best footy. In the last couple of weeks, he's, he's started to really head in the right direction and play his best footy again. So um, he's in a really good space. He's going to take all the time he needs to make his decision. We're really respectful of that with, his, with Luke. Um, and we're looking forward to making him play his best footy and, 
Um, hopefully he can do that against Fremantle this week. Interesting that the journalist asked the question regarding are you going to keep him close by your side? Because as was reported by Kim Hagdorn some weeks ago, when Fremantle went to Melbourne to take on the Demons and beat them at the MCG, uh, Luke Jackson was spotted having a bit of a chat with Peter Bell and also Jamie Graham. And, of course, that grew after it was broken here on SEN Drive. Goodman was also asked about Angus Brayshaw, who, as we know, is out of contract and where he's likely to be. Strong word that he could end up at the Bombers. Oh, we've had some great discussions with Angus throughout his whole career. And Angus has been really clear that he'll do whatever he needs to do for for what the Melbourne Footy Club needs in the team. And um, he's been really strong in that space. He's executed every role we've given him. He's been put to half back this year and, um, and actually thrived in that space. And um, I'm sure wherever we play Angus um, in the years moving forward, he's going to be a very fine player for the Melbourne Footy Club. And, um, we're really confident of that being the case. Maybe mm. uh, he's not at uh, Melbourne next year. We'll have to wait and see. Just some news out of the Tigers. Richmond forward Matthew Parker and the club have mutually agreed to part ways to allow him to re- turn home here to WA for family reasons. Uh, the 26-year-old, as we know, booted seven goals from 11 AFL games for the Tigers, including five uh, in matches in 2022 after getting picked up in last year's mid-season draft. But he confirmed today with his young family and his partner that he wants to return back to WA. So it looks like he'd probably pick up his career with South Fremantle again, which would be interesting. Uh, So we'll have to wait and see. So that's going to be happening with uh, Matthew Parker. Uh, It looks like he might stay. Is he staying till the end of the season? I think he might be, but we'll have to wait and see on that. But anyway, they've mutually agreed to part ways, Parker and the Richmond Football Club. And I've just been told he is coming home. So he's going to be on the probably next flight back to Western Australia. Uh, Just having a look at the other big news coming out of Richmond, of course, Kane Lambert has retired. This is what he said about his retirement. It's been a long time coming, to be fair. You know, I'd probably approach this year a little bit uncertain whether or not I'll play again. I sort of knew it was going to be my last year. It's probably more closure today to be able to, um, you know, get out in the open and be a little bit more truthful about the condition of my uh, my body and uh, let the group move on and hopefully charge towards a finals campaign if we're good enough. Yeah, well done to Kane Lambert on a very good career, of course, a premiership player with the Richmond Football Club. And finally, as we wrap up what's happened in AFL today, Craig McRae, the successful Collingwood coach, was asked about where Brody Grundy's at because uh, he's been touted out as possibly uh, a chance to maybe head somewhere else. Here's Craig. I do. I want Brody there. I, I think he makes us better. I've got a great relationship with Brody. He goes way back from when he first started. Um, I think he's maybe forgotten of how good a player he is. We, we forget, don't we? Like, it's That's 15 cool. rounds now and... You know, you go back to his last game against Draper. He was significant in the in the Anzac Day game. My immediate attention is to get Brody back and ready to play. Like he's he's available, but not quite ready. Like he hasn't done enough centre bounce ruck work yet. Um, yeah, and he's not match hardened uh, clearly because he hasn't played for th- for that time. But you know, to answer your question, do I want Brody Grundy at Collingwood? Absolutely. Is he up for trade? I can't comment on that. That's that's up to his management, and Graham Wright does the list management around those things. So, could you walk into Graham Wright's office tomorrow and say, Graham, I don't care what you're doing, 
I want Brodie Grundy at the football club next year. Have you got that power? Well, I might ring him later and ask for all if I have much, that much say. No, I, I don't, don't want gun. to get into that. I don't want to... Come on, Robbo. Yeah, that was an AFL 360 last night. Uh, Mark Robinson uh, throwing the questions. And Craig McRae, who's a pretty cool customer. He's been very, very impressive in his first year as coach of the Collingwood Football Club. And here we are, the Magpies sitting in the top four at the moment, winning a lot of close games. And what's that? That nine games without defeat, which is quite incredible. That's the show for tonight. Hope you've enjoyed it. Great to speak to John Inverarity regarding the passing of the great Laurie Saul. At the age of 96, I'll be back again tomorrow from five. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks uh, also to Lee. And I see that the NFL referee, Ashley Klein, has been axed after his role in the West Tigers robbery over the weekend. That's just come through as well. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you tomorrow at five right here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre where you get the right tool from the start.